Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the third episode of the podcast. Thank you for coming back. I'm your host, Ali, and I invite you all to sit and suck for a while. Today, we'll be talking about substance abuse and addiction. We'll be looking at the definition and what it looks like, the progression of the addiction as a disease, co-occurring disorders, and different treatment avenues that an individual who is struggling with addiction can seek. As always, if you have any topics or questions you would like us to address on the podcast, you can email me directly or reach out to us via Facebook or Twitter. And also make sure that you are following us on Twitter and Facebook to receive the latest news and updates regarding new and upcoming episodes. As always, thank you for coming and hope you enjoy the show. So in the previous episodes, I've talked about how substance abuse can be a byproduct of mental health issues such as depression, anxiety, and trauma. For us to further understand the, the effects of substance use on an individual's life, we have to really look at the criteria for diagnosing a substance use disorder. Up until 2013, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders classified substance use into two different disorders, substance abuse and substance dependence. Substance abuse was defined as the use of substances that is leading to clinically significant impairment or distress. So a recurrent substance use resulting in a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. So this can look like an individual who is not attending uh, classes or being absent at work repeatedly or their work performance is affected directly due to the substance use. For example, their home life is not being maintained due to substance use. They're neglecting the children or other members of their family and their duties in the household. Substance abuse is also defined as a recurrent substance use in situations in which it is physically hazardous. So, for example, someone is driving a car while under the influence of a substance, or operating heavy machinery, or doing something that is critical. For example, taking care of a baby or an infant while under the influence. Additionally, recurrent substance use related legal problems or for example, receives a DUI for driving under the influence, or is arrested for having possession of an illegal substance, or public intoxication, for example. And those consequences do not necessarily stop the individual from going back and using again. And lastly, continued substance use despite having persistent or recurrent social or interpersonal problems caused or exacerbated by the effects of the substance. So for example, domestic issues with a spouse or a partner, issues with family members, uh, consequences of the intoxication, whether it be at work, at school, 
all the issues that can be a result of the substance use, but do not deter the individual from stopping their use. So having met one or more of these criteria within a 12-month period would have indicated that this person is to some degree abusing substances. Now if we look at substance dependence, it's defined in a different way. While it is still a pattern of substance use that leads to a clinically significant impairment or distress, it is defined by three or more of the following, also within a 12-month period. So a tolerance that's developed and can be indicated by a marked increase in the amounts of substance that the person is consuming to achieve that same effect that they want, or indicated by a diminished effect of the continued use of the same amount of the substance. So the person is drinking or using the same amount of drugs as before, but they're just not able to reach the same level of intoxication as before. Experiencing withdrawal symptoms or using substances to help in the relief or avoidance of the withdrawal symptoms that can be a byproduct of suddenly or a prolonged period of not using. The substance is often taken in large amounts or over longer periods than intended. There is a persistent desire or unsuccessful efforts to stop or control the use. A great deal of time is spent in activities necessary to obtain the substance, use the substance, or recover from its effects. So this could be driving long distances, uh, spending a great deal of time to acquire the substance, and the time it takes to recover from it, whether it affects time at work or time at school or time in other valuable parts of your life. Important social, occupational, or recreational activities are given up or reduced because of substance use. So maybe this individual is not going out as much or their social group has changed as a result of their habits, their work is beginning to suffer, or they're no longer doing things that they enjoy because the substance use has become so important, much more important than what they used to enjoy. The substance use is continued despite the knowledge of having these persistent physical and psychological problems that can be caused or amplified by the use of the substance. As we've mentioned before, the use of substances and alcohol to cope with anxiety and depression is not uncommon, but the reality is the use of alcohol and other substances can further worsen those symptoms but the individual is so dependent on the substance that they use regardless of the potential of worsening their symptoms of anxiety and depression. Or a person who, while aware of their health issues such as uh, ulcer or liver issues or uh, maybe they're pregnant or sick, whether well, or not supposed to be using substances or drinking alcohol, yet their dependence is so strong on the substance that they continue to do so regardless of their condition. So we can see that between dependence and abuse, there are some similarities, while at the same time there are some differences where abuse is someone that is using a substance in an inappropriate 
or unhealthy manner. Dependence indicates more of a need or an inability to control the use of the substance and having a reliance on it for other needs. With the release of the DSM-5 in 2013, they combined both substance abuse and substance dependence into one substance use disorder and they dropped one of the criteria of legal issues and replaced it with cravings where you assess if the individual is experiencing cravings to use and they also introduced a varying degrees of severity within the disorder so depending on the number of present symptoms or criteria that the individual meets, they are either placed in mild, moderate, or severe in regards to the intensity of the substance use disorder. Now, irregardless of whichever substance the individual is using, it could be alcohol, it could be opiates, it could be cocaine or marijuana, the individual can still experience those same symptoms or those same criteria across those different substances. One example that I often see is an individual who has in the past struggled with alcohol use and in their sobriety they pick up another substance such as marijuana or opiates as a replacement for the alcohol. And this can go vice versa as well, where if someone is sober from using any opiates, starts to use alcohol as a replacement. And what you see is the individual is placing the same amount of importance on that substance, or they're utilizing the opiates the same way they use the alcohol to cope with everyday stressors. It becomes something they rely on to self-medicate for whether it's the anxiety or the depression that they're experiencing or just to deal with the cravings that they're experiencing. But what you'll see is the individual just starts to fall into those same behavioral patterns as before, only now it's just a different substance. And in some cases where the individual has begun to use another substance, they could revert back to the original substance that they were using. And cross-addiction is not just limited to substances and alcohol. It can also include gambling or shopping or any other compulsive behaviors that the individual can develop. So if we look at how an addiction progresses or develops, imagine that there is a line where the far left side is depression and on the right side is euphoria, and in the middle is normal. Now, in the beginning, an individual may be using alcohol or other substances to reach that feeling of euphoria, and as their tolerance increases, they may need it more and more. So, along the way, as that tolerance increases and the habits or behaviors start to form, the individual starts to change in regards to the activities they enjoy, the people they are surrounding themselves with, and the way they think and behave in regards to the substance. So maybe they're spending more time with people that, that have the same habits as them, or their activities revolve around drinking or using substances. In other ways, they're revolving their life around that substance. And over time, that 
change in an individual's life can affect different parts of their life. So maybe it is relationship issues, it's legal issues, financial issues. They start having issues at work, issues at school, issues at home. A lot of things start to negatively impact their life where they start to reach the left side of that line, the depression. And slowly it becomes where they aren't using to reach that euphoria anymore. They're drinking or using to reach a sense of normality, right? So, and the cycle starts over again, where the amount of the substance they will need will increase over time. Only this time their tolerance is increasing, not to feel euphoria, but just to feel normal. So we can see a change in the purpose of the use where it used to be for enjoyment or that feeling of euphoria or that intoxication to the purpose of the use being for self-medication for the anxiety or the depression as a result of the events that have transpired in the individual's life as a result of the substance use. The awareness of the problematic aspect of the substance use may not be clear to the individual in the beginning or they may not have an awareness that there is even a problem. There are five different stages of change in the recovery process. The first stage is pre-contemplation where the individual is not even aware that there is a problem with their substance use. Next comes contemplation where they begin to have an idea and they're possibly on the fence regarding their use being problematic or not problematic. Next is the planning stage where they start to make plans to seek treatment or get help. And the fourth stage is the action stage where they are seeking help. They are making changes in their life to maintain sobriety or stay in recovery. And the last stage is maintenance, where they're doing several tasks to maintain the progress that they've achieved. And if they don't, then the sixth stage is relapse. And it takes everyone a different amount of time to reach that awareness. And even further, it takes, depending on the substance that the individual is using, it also can vary on the time that they've come to that awareness that the substance use has become problematic. For example, the substance of alcohol where it is legal in a lot of countries and in most cultures it is socially acceptable. The lifespan of alcohol can span decades, not just years, but decades, where an individual can be struggling with their substance use and they don't come to that awareness that it's affecting their life negatively until something severe happens to them. Because for the longest time, people around them just discounted their alcohol use as part of their personality, when in reality, it was allowed to go on for such a long time that it becomes even more difficult to stop because it's become such a deeply rooted issue. Now. On the other hand, substances like cocaine or heroin or amphetamines or methamphetamines, those substances have a shorter lifespan just due to 
the fact that they're illegal, they're socially unacceptable, and start to have severe adverse effects on the individual's life much earlier on. So why is it difficult for an individual to stop using a substance that they've been dependent on for such a long time? Well, for one, they've become dependent on it for the purpose of self-medication or the purpose of stress relief. It's become a part of their identity or what they do. And, you know, depending on how long the individual has been using for it, it makes it all the more difficult because it's become such a big part of their life. And when someone is often trying to quit in the early stages, it creates this cycle that makes it really difficult for them to stop because as soon as they stop, they go through withdrawal symptoms and those withdrawal symptoms are temporary but are sometimes severe enough where the individual doesn't want to stop because the withdrawal symptoms are so severe that they would rather avoid them or use again to relieve themselves from the withdrawal symptoms. In addition to the withdrawal symptoms, an individual could also be struggling with co-occurring disorders that we've talked about in the past so anxiety or depression that the alcohol was masking or the other substance was masking so once you remove that mask the individual is left with the anxiety or the depression and those symptoms are no longer being suppressed or numbed by an external factor imagine that you're a bottle of soda and when you shake a bottle of soda with the cap on it, the bottle builds a lot of pressure, right? So all those different events that occur in someone's life are that pressure in that bottle. Now, you suddenly remove the cap, which can be, which is metaphorical for the substance use. And all of a sudden, all that pressure comes out. So all that anxiety, all that stress that the individual was experiencing but had been numbing for such a long time finally comes out and there's nothing holding it in anymore and that creates an obstacle or a challenge for the individual who's trying to quit because during the time they were using they weren't experiencing those feelings they weren't experiencing those emotions but now that they've stopped they are and that's often a pitfall for individuals who are in early recovery it's oftentimes difficult to tell which came first, the substance abuse or the mental health issues. You know, they're so interdependent at times that the substance use could have caused the mental health issues or vice versa, where the mental health issues created the vulnerability or the that need for substance abuse to become such an integral part of someone's life as a way of coping and self-medicating. So it's oftentimes where we have to wait for the cloud of the substance abuse to clear away before we can really start to work with the other symptoms of those mental health issues. For someone who is struggling with substances, what are their options of treatment? Options of treatment can range from outpatient individual to inpatient residential, depending on the severity of the substance use disorder and the needs of that individual as well. So the first step someone can take would be going to get an assessment and figuring out what 
level of care they need. So from individual outpatient where they're seeing a therapist a number of times a week to an intensive outpatient program, which is more of a group setting where they're meeting with a group of people nine hours a week at least. And a step further than that would be a partial hospitalization program, which is still outpatient, but would be more hours during the day and possibly more days a week. And going beyond that would be the inpatient residential settings, which could be for more severe cases where an individual needs to be removed from an environment in order to start their recovery process. Residential treatment center stays can range anywhere from 30 days to 90 days in order to help that individual build a solid foundation as well as address any medical or medication concerns that can be related to the individual's case. After the completion of a residential program, the individual can then start to work themselves downwards into those levels of care. So maybe starting at the PHP level, the partial hospitalization level, and then working down into the intensive outpatient IOP level. And then after that, assuming things are progressing well, they can start seeing a individual therapist, maybe go to some aftercare recovery groups, as well as support groups outside of their treatment centers. So there are different support groups for individuals who are struggling with substance abuse. Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous are among the 12-step program. And outside of 12-step, there are smart recovery groups, which are not 12-step based and more so uh, evidence-based and clinical oriented programs. Meetings not only provide you with accountability, but also provide you with a sense of uh, support from other members of groups around you who are struggling with the same thing and have the same goal in mind. Further than that, family therapy can be a great tool to utilize because not only does the substance use affect the individual, but the family as well. If that person has people around them, they will get affected by the individual's use. And family therapy can be a great way to make sure that everyone is on the same page in terms of understanding what needs to be done and what needs to be worked on in order to improve their relationships that have been affected by the substance use over a period of time and depending again on how long the individual has been using there might be more work to be done and the relationship may have been affected a lot more severely and lastly other things that may be necessary could be medication management there are medications that can help individuals who are in early recovery deal with cravings and urges to use um, a big st- a big part of a big part of the recovery is a lifestyle change so just ensuring that you are not going back to old behaviors and there are going to be a lot of changes that have to be made to your life 
that you may not necessarily be comfortable with. And lastly, the realignment of your values. Our values are a big, important part of our life. And I will actually dedicate a whole episode to values alone. Our values are how we identify ourselves and how we make decisions. So in early recovery, focusing on your values and really figuring out what is going to be really important to you and what your values are will be a major key in figuring out the decisions you have to make and the changes you need to make to your life. In order to maintain your recovery and get closer to your values as opposed to get further away from your values. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we come to the end of the third episode. Thank you for stopping by and thank you for listening. I am hoping to release another episode within the next two to three weeks. And as always, if you have any topics you would like to hear about, please reach out to me via email or reach out to me on social media, either Twitter or Facebook. And also, again, make sure you're following us to get the latest updates on episode release dates. And I will see you all next time.